The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. What does it mean to be present? To try and stay in the moment that you're in and not worry about the future or regret the past. It's something I've been trying to do for a long time. I'm Diane Ray, and I have always had questions about the big picture. God, life after death, spirituality, metaphysics, and what drives people to do what they do. And I like to ask them about it and learn from it. If you're a seeker like me, I hope you join me for some of these conversations on the podcast and be present with me in this moment. So I'm going to do something a little different on today's pod. And the theme today is gratitude. And I wanted to share some stories today to get us thinking about how we can be grateful for what we have and where we are right now. Even if we're going through challenges, the human experience is full of them. Relationships, death of family members, death of pets, divorce. We may experience some of these or all of these things in a lifetime. But I believe there's always something that you can find in your life to be grateful about. And I'm as guilty as the next person of going down the rabbit hole of how crappy things are right now. Just don't think I'm going to be getting all Pollyanna on you. I'm right where you are. I mean, just look at the news. Every day we are bombarded with information about the current crap condition of a lot of things right now. But just for today, just for this time that we're going to spend together now, I want to entertain the idea that things are all going to work out. It's all going to be okay. And I want to spend some time being grateful for being here right now. So on the podcast today, I'm going to share two stories with you that come from my life, from people that I am close to that are dealing with challenges that they're facing and they're choosing to find things that they're grateful for. So for the first story, I'm going to introduce you to someone close to me that's dealing with the challenges of mental health and substance dependency. And I think a lot of people can relate to this. So just to throw some numbers at you about how big this particular thing is, according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, one in five U.S. adults live with a mental illness. One in five, you know, think about that. The National Institute of Health says that 10% of U.S. adults have a drug use disorder at some point in their lives. 10% of people are going to be dealing with with this at some point. So that's a lot of people. And the chances are you know someone or have someone in your family who is dealing with one or both of these things. And I'm no different. I have someone that I'm going to introduce you to. It's my younger brother, Eddie. And he's going to share some of his story today and also share some of the things that he is actually grateful for. So Eddie, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) <laughs> thank you <laughs> we've it's, never it's, done this before have it's, we it's it's different talking to you in a formal podcast way than over the cell phone but i'm here right over and, the phone um, where i'll get calls where you'll get yeah where you're talking me <laughs> talking me <laughs> off a ledge or preventing me from uh driving my car into a wall or something to that effect yeah it's a little bit different and that uh that seems to be one of my roles, I guess, in, um, in our our family, our family dynamic. So just to give people a little bit of a background. So we're five years apart. So there's, you know, a little bit of an age difference. I'm the oldest of three. Uh, Eddie is the youngest. We have a middle sister and Eddie from, I guess you started dealing with kind of mental health issues or having some problems like in your 20s maybe uh late teens early 20s like around college age right around around 18 is when it really started yeah yeah 18 so just from my perspective since i was already out of the house like i would only hear these things or what was going on 
through mom, you know, so I was never really aware of what was going on or what the, what some of the issues were, but you were having, you were having issues on and off, you know, going through your life, right. Even from starting at an early age. So you agree with that, right? Sure. Sure. At, at, At an early age. And it was, um, um, to try to paraphrase it without taking up too much time is that, you know, this was in the, the late eighties. I was, uh, I was involved in athletics. Um, I was involved in a lot of sports and there was that, that, um, you know, that id, uh, you know, when it came to relationships and things like that. And it was a strange time for me at home because you and our other sister, would generally were at the age where you were spending most of your time out of the house you were with your friends your boyfriends etc and i was the only one there with um with mom and dad and uh you know without demonizing or or trying to even use my my father as a as a reason let's just say that my father was manic depressive his whole life Un, undiagnosed, never went to a doctor, never went to a therapist. It was just that 1950s madman mentality, you know, and I saw the way that he treated mom. And I don't want to imply that it was, it was um, uh, any type of abuse physically or anything. But as you know, mom wasn't, was a salutatorian. She went to, you know, she was a very smart woman. And dad was more of a lunch pail lunch bucket type guy and he he really ignored her for the most part of the time that i was there and he didn't he didn't take her out to dinners he didn't take her out to you know special places and it was an odd it was a very odd time for me my father was also an adult devout catholic and he had very distinct views as it came to sex and dating and he wouldn't let me bring girls over he would he would chastised me if I was out too late on a date. It was a weird situation because in reality, I was dad's best friend. Dad had no no friend outlet whatsoever. So he depended very much on me. And when I wanted to become and hang out with the guys in the football team and hang out with the guys in the track team, there was a very, very tangible resentment that came from him towards me. And there was a period of time for seven years where I didn't talk to him. And I think, you know, about that, where we didn't have any relationship whatsoever. And I got my first girlfriend at that time when I was 18 and she turned into my wife. And, um, I was skipping, we're skipping over an, an incident where there was a breakdown with another relationship in college I'm, I'm well, just trying the, to give people the timeline. No, 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 no. That's that wasn't who, that wasn't your wife. No, 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 no. Um, you're right. Um, what happened was when I was 18, um, you're right. I, I am skipping through that person. But, I don't, and I don't want to belabor that point. So let, no, 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 no. But let me, let me, let me at least, let me at least it's, 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 it's relevant. So let me at least, um, you know, just touch on it quickly. Um, what she wanted for was completely rational. She was a freshman going to a four state, you know, university and, you know, she wanted to be a freshman and I didn't want to lose that love because I wasn't getting it elsewhere. And I behaved erratically. Um, I would often have these, these um, panic attacks and I would climb the side of buildings. I would look in trees after her. I was basically becoming very stalking. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. She, she put a restraining order on me. I was a stalker. I was, I was someone that, that wanted to be loved. And, and, and it's weird when you say you're a stalker and I'm trying to maybe, you know, empathize with myself and, and make myself out to be, you know, somewhat empathetic, but I was because I was never going to hurt her. I was just so hurt that this person that, you know, we went to prom and homecoming and everything and was my first love. My, I was a virgin, everything. Right. You wanted, you wanted love and you didn't really see it, you know, Correct. demonstrated Correct. growing up. So when you finally found it and you lost it, it threw you into just a tailspin it, it, that you weren't able me, to handle. It threw me into a huge tailspin. I remember our other sister being very supportive of me and trying to get me through it. But I I didn't have the tools because mom and dad never really taught them to me. 
I didn't have the tools when it came to relationships and breakups because they had their own problems. And um, I ended up getting, you would get that bad, that bad advice from your friends. Like, oh, just go out and find another girl and, you know, be with another woman. You'll forget about her immediately. I never fell into that. that you couldn't that disengage. I couldn't disengage. And I also wasn't, I wasn't a person that was, uh, you know, uh, I didn't, I didn't view women as, as, as articles of, you know, uh, nothingness for me to just get over somebody else, you know, like I needed to love the person I was with. And I felt that up until literally like a year ago, like that was one of my most redeeming qualities. I wasn't a slut or a whore or a guy that just went and slept with anybody. You're, I was you're very... the you're the one woman man. You like relationships. Absolutely. You want Absolutely. to be in a relationship. So so that was your first kind of hurtful experience, and you know you didn't and handle it, led to, it well. It led to some very it led to some very embarrassing moments and conversations for mom and dad with her parents, and they took me out of Gainesville. They took me out of of Gainesville and and brought me back down to Fort Lauderdale. Um, you know, to uh, to finish school and to start, you know, another phase of my life. Right. And and, and, that... and I just want to point out too, like I didn't know, I I only heard that this all came out later. I guess is what I'm sure. trying to say. Everything so that the later. when you when you when you track back and look at when things started to happen from as early as you know your college years, you know that was something that was never discussed in the family, never, you know, never, me never. mental health challenges, depression, you know, obviously dad up. was depressed. And just to fast forward on that, you know, our, our father passed in, I believe, 2003, 2003. complications from, from Alzheimer's. So he had a long road. That is a whole other story in itself entirely, you know, but yeah. we're, we're just kind of, kind of wanting to track, you know, your story and, and what your challenges have been in trying to deal with that. So let, let's fast forward to you get, you get married and how old were you when you, when you married? Cause I, I was, even uh, forget. <laughs> I was, well, well, I forget well, that we, year. we knew each other for a great deal of time before we, we got married, but I was 28 when 28. I got married. Yeah. And she was, and she was 24. So she got married very young mm -hmm. and um, we got married because we, we, we both felt, um, you know, her her family was Latin, mine is Italian, with my father, who I mentioned, who had a strict Catholic backbone. We never lived together before we got married at all. We never went on vacations where we slept together in the same bed at all. It went from us dating to having a house together, which is, when you look back on it now, very odd. You know, it is. We had no... It's, it's very kind of old-fashioned in a way extremely old-fashioned but what it did is it, it 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 really shone a light upon the fact that we had no cohabitational skills you know at all we right. never lived together well no we one teaches you those things right but the only way you get them is by living with each other and we had families right. that wouldn't allow that to happen you know her family was like you're gonna marry her if you're gonna live with her that was said to me that was verbalized right so, right so we we had to get married and we did and i and and I loved her uh, a great deal, but I wasn't I wasn't prepared for some of the side effects. For instance, you, you know this. Young. You know this. Um, one of my uh, favorite pastimes and something I really loved doing was I love performing comedy. I love doing stand up. I did my first stand up when I was sixteen years old and won. I won a, a one hundred dollar bar tab at Haggerty's, and I wasn't even old uh. enough to drink. And, and 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 I loved comedy and um my wife you would do it at parties. My wife at the time well no no more than parties, I, Diane. But I know. but I remember seeing you do that, you know, yeah, and I know I you mean, did Uncle Funnies your, your and your stuff little, like that. Your little brother opened up for Pat and Oswald, he opened up for Damon Wayans, he opened up for for some pretty big people in, in South Florida. And I had a name for myself, I had an agent. I really wanted to pursue that because my wife had a very expensive lifestyle and she liked nice things. She was a little bit of a tag girl. You know what I'm saying? And every month I was seeing bills come in that I couldn't pay for. And I was sacrificing things of my own, whether so it there was were a, there were financial pressures, like whether there, it was an, whether it was an 
unopened Beatles box set, whether it was my Wave Runner, whether it was, you know, I was the one making the sacrifices to keep this house going. And in order to deal with that, I ended up smoking a lot of, of weed. And, 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 the, and weed did, at that time, calm me down and, and make me a little bit less stressed. Now, there was a stigma on weed 30 years ago that doesn't exist today. Right. Um, you know, and, and, you know, she would say, oh, and, and tell her friends or family, oh, he's, he's home smoking weed. And, 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 and I was getting a reputation as being a bit of a slacker and, you know, smoking weed and whatever. And that led to fights, not physical or anything like that, but arguments back and forth. And I went to the doctor. And I guess this is where the saga for me really begins, is that I knew that I was really waking up sad most of the time. Um, and I didn't like where I was at the age of 30. I, I, you know, I had friends that had maybe connections and they were coming out and they were getting jobs out of college, making a lot more money than me. And I, and I, and I developed my own insecurity, you know, in, in, in inferiority complex. Um, I developed a resentment towards her because she wouldn't, you know, she didn't let me do comedy, which I thought was the only way I could really make a lot of money, you know, because I am funny, or I thought I was. And I ended up taking a job where I was extremely successful. I don't want to hide the fact that I was successful at my chosen profession, which was distribution and supply chain. But that's not what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. So a... a uh, so to deal uh, with the resentment of that. To deal with that, the resentment, I would, I would do pot. And then, right, and then so that kind of started things. Right. So then she told me to go to the doctor, and the doctor prescribed me. Uh, the doctor started hell. The doctor started the, the downward specter of my life by giving me my first benzodiazepine. Um, I was given benzodiazepine. I was given Xanax along with Zoloft and Buspar and um, told to take these, and I did. And the amazing thing about the Xanax is um, the Xanax works. It does exactly what it tells you it will do. If you're having a bad day and you take a milligram of Xanax, then you will feel better. You'll feel better for about four or five hours, and then the underlying issues still are there. So what do you do in human nature? You take another one. So I was never able to stick to the prescribed dosage. And when I would go back into the doctors, again, this is 1996, I was working out, I was getting big, I was, I was doing steroids, and you know, they're like, oh, you're a big guy now. Wow, you've gained 20 pounds since you're here. Let, let's, let, let's move it to one point. And, and no one even questioned that. They no didn't question that. It. No one questioned the fact that every time I went into this doctor and I refused to get into a legal battle, I'm not going to name any names. No, we're not saying that. Um, all they did was basically do this. Increase my dosage. And then at that point in time, apply something else. Say, hey, well, if this doesn't work for you, maybe Kalanapin will. Or, hey, if this didn't work for you, maybe a mixture of Prozac will. Or if this didn't work for you, maybe Wellbutrin or Effexor will. And if this doesn't work for you, and I felt like a human pincushion. I felt like they were playing darts with me. There was no recommendation to cognitive therapy. So what I did at the time with my insurance company, which didn't, at that time, still viewed mental therapy as the redheaded stepchild of all health issues in the world. It had the lowest amount of coverage, the highest deductible. So I ended up talking to an LCSW named Steve for a very long time. And Steve was able to give me someone to talk to. And I, and I love Steve. And I, and I think that he did the best he could. But he was basically... The, the role of the, L, the LCSW was to give me someone to yell at that I knew I wasn't going to hurt his feelings, you know? Um, I didn't really get any therapy, per se. I didn't, I didn't learn any skills on how to deal with this without taking this pill. So, so it just, just progressed, so, you know, on and on. Year, let's just say a year. And then, it, and then it went to the point where it led to the point where I was taking so much Xanax to the point where I was disengaged in my marriage. Um, 
it led to a separation, which eventually led to a divorce. Um, I still love my ex-wife uh, with a with a huge warped heart. She's a great woman. Uh, she remarried. I'm friends with her ex-husband, um, and our relationship is a is a solid one. It's just we got married young. We both did things to each other that we regret, but I can't speak to what she did to me. I can only speak to the fact that I was, I was, I was sleepwalking through that marriage with the Xanax. Right, because it was got, just a veil. It was just a veil was, was, over it, everything, and you weren't able to feel anything because. And I learned. And I learned. I learned nothing. I all I learned. What does it take? You can teach a chimpanzee to open up a bottle and take a pill. I didn't learn any skills, any mental cognitive skills, and to ask myself questions as to why I felt so depressed. I was excelling at my job. I was making um, very good money. I had a I had a beautiful house with. Uh, a $96,000 Audi, and my second car was a Hummer. I bought her a Jaguar. From the outward perspective, it looked like I had this great life going. But in reality, I had this dirty, dark secret where I was, I was addicted to pills. They say, National Medical Society, there's a reason why a bar is two milligrams. A bar is enough to knock down an elephant, okay? It's a very strong, highly potent benzodiazepine, okay? It has a higher addictive rate than heroin. It has a higher addictive rate so you, than- Yeah, you're, than, depend, you're depending on it. You're, you're, you're depending on it. And, and what it does is it also puts someone who's incredibly not um, qualified to self-medicate. And this happened throughout- the entire decade of the 90s or excuse me the late 90s and the entire decade of the 2000s to the 2010s now right. and, that... and i just want to give people the the timeline so for me i was not aware that you know the extent of the drug dependency was going on and i don't think my my sister was aware of the extent nobody was of aware. what was, was going on own. because you were nobody. you were living you know you're in another relationship you know you had a great house yep. um you know but there was there was erratic there was erratic behavior going on that both my sister and i noticed there was like Hubris. the, the yeah, there Put was down. the Christmas blow up of 2013. You and I had a really horrible fight, and I won't yeah. go into everything that happened there because that was totally unpleasant. And I regret that. Yeah, I mean, I regret things that I that I said as well, you know. But so the, the so this all went on, and then I just I want to bring people up to kind of like a, a huge tipping point. So out of the blue, you called me and said, "Hey, uh, you had spent some time in Austin. I'm I'm going to sell my house and and I'm moving and I'm buying this property." And and both my sister and I are like, "What? You know, yeah. you're going to Texas? Like what?" So in my you know effort to try to be supportive, I'm like, "Okay, maybe you need a change." I've certainly felt that way when I wanted to leave South Florida. All right, so we're trying to be supportive, but we're like, "Why the hell is he selling his house?" It to, to both my sister and I had felt like a a rash kind of drastic thing to do but right. if that was going to make you happy okay then second you know look biggest, i've second biggest mistake of my life yeah, yeah it's huge i mean i've i've made huge mistakes like that too you know so then i remember getting a phone call you get you get out to texas you buy a place in like canyon lake which is kind of in the middle of nowhere totally uprooting meth yourself capital of texas actually <laughs> <laughs> the meth capital of texas yeah. so you're so you're dropped in the middle of there and then i, I distinctly in remember you saying to me you go i think i made a huge mistake yeah yeah I and did. i'm on the phone i'm going well think of it as you know you bought this property it's a job you'll stay there a little while you can sell it like i was trying to give you okay you have an out if you want out but i'm like uh-oh you know this is not going to end well knowing how you felt so no. things really came came to a head at that point where without question at, yeah at one point on one day I'm I'm working and I get a call and you're and you're telling me that you have guns and you want to kill yourself. Yeah. So what am I supposed to do with that information, right? I'm Well, well, I'm you're like, missing well, a spot. You're missing a spot. Well, I'm, well, and I'm that trying is to that, bring bring people up to I the I had a friend I had a friend staying with me at point. the time. 
who was going to help me rehab this house, which I got a good deal on. And the goal was to make money. And again, the money I made on that house compared to the money I lost on the house that I loved, and I really loved my house, is going to be the eternal black blemish on me for the rest of my life. Yes, back to Texas. You get a call. You you were you were there was a bit of a there was a bit of a daisy chain going on between my friends and my sisters as to my behavior. Um because I had a guy living with me that would report on me, so to speak, to both my girl, you know, my girlfriend back home at the time or my ex, as well as the girl that I was interested in seeing now. And it, it was day, a huge, it was a huge like cluster. I mean, it, just... was a, it, it was just a big cluster, all gener- you know, all blamed by me. But I, I really loved the girl that, that I wanted to see because she was also a girl that I wanted to see before I knew her before I even got married to my wife. And I always felt that I loved her. We're we're skipping over the the whole suicide, and I'll just oh, fill oh, I'll oh, fill oh, oh, I'll oh. fill that in where I get a call. You're yeah, you're in a very manic state. Um, I With start guns. making I start making phone calls in Austin. You finally get some kind of diagnosis. This to me was the only time that I've because you you had told me all of these other self diagnoses you're talking about. I have Lewy body. I have this, which none of us could really understand. Then when there was the mental breakdown, which you had in Texas, and I sent you to a hospital that you checked yourself into and you spent three days because I told them you Unbeknownst had... to the fact that I was checking myself into a place that wouldn't let me leave. Right. He, you let's, didn't let's think, you thought there. you could leave, but I told them, I go, look, I'm very afraid he has firearms. You backtracked me. Basically. Yeah. So that was very traumatic for, for everybody. You know, we didn't. We didn't want to do that, or I didn't want to it do that. It was traumatic. But... It was traumatic for the orderly that I that I that I broke a rib in a fight right. and got thrown into a yeah. Room. There was there was a whole there's a whole lot of other stuff involved there. But for me to see that there was a diagnosis when I saw paperwork from that yeah. hospital that there was a a breakthrough a breakthrough there was a breakdown, which I think ultimately. At least to me, there was some diagnosis. There was something going on that they could say, this is a manic depressive episode. Severe, I remember the paper vividly. Severe, severe acute depression yes. with uncontrollable anxiety and um, trust issues, all this stuff. Yeah. Well, that's it, when it became real for me because I saw something on paper before yeah. it was like, oh, Eddie could tell you anything. You know, and there were there was My a lot of lies wasn't and stuff. Exactly of the best of right, of, right, of, and and I'm not going to drag you through the mud with all of that, all of that crap. That's not the point of of this whole story because there is a better there is a better ending, folks. <laughs> there is uh there is a happier no, you know Lord direction God. to this. I mean, I'm not going to say everything's perfect, but um. So after all of that trauma and all that stuff, you found some peace. You ended up going to Cabo, and why did you go to Cabo? Um, I went to Cabo because I had a friend at the time um, who had his wedding there. And I remember it as being, without, you know, overstating it, the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. It had mountains. You and I, um, we, we, we hiked in San Diego and we did the potato chip cliff and they had mountains and they had, they had whales I could see from my, from my balcony. It's a beautiful place. It's if you haven't been there, don't go because I don't want you there. I don't want other Americans there. Stay away. <laughs> um, it's the most beautiful place in the world, and it's loaded with Americans. And I'm and I found myself for the first time in my life on my own with my dog, and I found myself in a position to forge my own friendships and not depends on the ones that were letting me down. And I made about four or five really, really good friends there that I still stay in contact with to this day. And um, and I had a good time there. But at the same time, I was still trying to salvage things with my girlfriend. And my girlfriend, you know, um, I'm just going to just cover this very briefly. She's had her own rough things that have happened to her in her life. But at the same time, I don't think she really addressed them in the manner that 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 she could have. And she often was very, 
she was often very reactionary and her reactions were not always nice. She wasn't always understanding. However, um, one of my big problems is that I only remember the good. I don't remember the bad. And when things were good with her and I, they were the best. She was my best friend. We liked everything from Duran Duran to the best music. And we, I thought I was vindicated in the fact that in 1993 or 94, I felt that she was the girl of my dreams. That despite her own issues and two divorces or whatever, that she was the girl of my dreams. And I loved her desperately. Um, so you wanted so than, that. You wanted that to work out. So what I did was I came back down home to Florida from from Cabo, and we spent seven months together. She stayed in my apartment on the weekends, and we were getting along better than any relationship in my life. Um, and then we had, you know, something happened. And the only person that could the give me those answers. The rug was pulled out and she ended the engagement. And so that. Something happened. Some, let's just say something happened that I'm never going to get the answer to. And um, it was the most jarring, hurtful experience of my life. And it pushed me to where Di uh, Diane is asking me to talk to you about this now. And hopefully people are listening to this and it's resonating it. I'm but I addict. think that I'm after... an addict addicted to benzodiazepines. And you're admitting and it now. I've been admitting it for 11 months now. Yeah. Right. And, I, and I this led it. to, ultimately, joining this NA. was one of the things that led to the, indirectly, maybe there were other issues that caused the breakup, but, you know, that didn't help. It, it didn't help the fact that I was also in Mexico and I have some money and I had, you know, I wasn't, like I said at the beginning, I wasn't the guy that had to go you know, steal, steal mom's television set to get a fix. I could just buy it. I was in Mexico. It was as easy as buying Skittles and a Slurpee, you know? And um, I, felt, I felt like it was a death. This death was the hardest one to take because it came out of nowhere. It led me to a path where I've never been before, really, uh, and that was the suicidal path. And I started looking up, I found myself Googling things like, you know, the quickest cocktail for, you know, suicide, you know, how to do it. How much Xanax do you need to take? You know, what do you mix it with? Well, Xanax and alcohol. And then I was in, in Mexico and fentanyl was easily available. I could have killed myself many, many times. And there were many, many times where I wanted to. And I wanted to get, I couldn't get out of bed. I would sleep till three. But then to get to the reason why Diane's calling, this is where you have to start taking stock in what you have. And that is that, you know, I started watching some things and reading some books and looking at things on YouTube. And there was one quote that really, really emphasized with me. And that was, if they loved you, they'd be there. And it's, it's a pretty simple quote, but it's so true. If you love somebody, and love is such a powerful word, and I think it's, I think it's I think it's used far too far too frequently. It's the same thing as friend. Because of Facebook and social media, people think they have 500 friends. I'm here to tell you you're lucky if you have four. Okay? Because people fell off and they didn't want to talk to you and it's a, it's a depressing subject. Every time I called, I can't tell you how many times my sister Diane would stop her work in the middle of the day because I can't get out a sentence without gurgling and crying and, and feeling sorry for myself. So your family will always be there for you. But then I also realized I had a subset of friends that really did love and care about me. Um, I'm never going to get the answers as to why this person did what they did. I still love this person. I guess the one thing you could say is that this last experience has has at the present time made me give up on on love or co cohabitating it's been over a year since i've even held the hand of another woman it's something that i'm willing to give up to not feel that pain again and i hope that doesn't continue to be the case i hope one day i can meet somebody that that can make me feel the way that this person did in the meantime um you guys know this my sisters 
like at Christmas time, I, I did the love bomb thing where I bought like, you know, $10,000 worth of presents and everything. And, and it doesn't work. When someone makes a decision to want you out of their life, let them go. Let them right. go. And, and you move on. And you so, have to move on. So kind so, of encapsulating just the experiences that you've shared and, you know, everything that you've been through, if you could say, looking back now, of what are you grateful for now, looking back over that whole experience, you know, that you've shared, everything that you've learned over the years, where you were driven to the point that you wanted to end it at some Correct. point. And I've and I've, I've had many conversations with you where you said that you wanted to kill yourself. You can mention the fact that uh, for people that are familiar with the drug Xanax, it's two milligrams, whatever. And I took 17 and I didn't die. That's 34 milligrams. I should be dead. Um, 18 could have killed me. So what I'm thankful for is easy for me to sum up because it's not that much, but it's very powerful. Um, I'm thankful for this conversation with my sister. 15 years ago, we wouldn't have had it. Um, I'm thankful for my sister down here in, in, in Florida that often invites me to dinner. I'm thankful for my, my nephew, who is the most amazing you know, kid that our DNA has ever produced. And he's probably going to be playing in the pros one day. Uh, and, and watching him mature into a young adult and, and knowing and, and having my sister tell me that he looks up to me and comes to me for advice is something that I feel is an obligation of mine. And, 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 I, and I want to fulfill it. Um, my dog, in the darkest days of all these stories, getting leg one to join leg two to get out of bed. That happened because of my dog. I had to take him out. And he, he, uh, he was there for a reason. And so I'm thankful for that. You have now, now it, it's like filling up two bowls. You know, my regret bowl is still overflowing. There's a lot of things I regret, but what's in my thankful bowl is enough to to make me want to try harder. I'm going to end it with, uh, with, with this phrase. You can, it's easy to tell who loves you and who cares for you. It's the people who pick up the phone. That's, That's it. That's right. The people that are there. The people well, that are there. I'll follow up and we'll see how we'll see how you're doing. And I'm, I'm grateful that you're here and for sharing your story. All right. Well, all you people plug into her site, listen to her podcast. She knows what she's talking about. She's been doing this a That's long a time. That's a question. <laughs> That's questionable. She's but uh, I'm, I'm grateful that you joined me today. No worries. Love you very much. Human design is a system that offers profound insights into your inner self and how you interact with the world around you. Quantum human design takes that process one step further, allowing you to become the architect of your own reality. Join Dr. Karen Curry for Elevating Your Life Script, a weekend workshop where you transform your life by crafting intentional narratives, May 24th through 26th at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Sometimes life can change on a dime in an instant. On January 14th, 2023, one of my best friends, Felicia, who I've known since high school, so we're talking a long time, 30 years, Felicia suffered an ischemic stroke at 57. I was at home at the time that it happened. I was shocked to get the phone call telling me that she was being rushed to the hospital. This was on a Saturday and there weren't a lot of people in the building and there wasn't anybody else at her office. Felicia had to call one of our good friends and try to communicate and she wasn't able to speak to tell what was happening to her. Long story short, it was kind of figured out where she was. An ambulance was sent there and she was rushed to the hospital. Every year, more than 795,000 people in the United States have a stroke, and about 87% of all strokes are the kind that Felicia had called ischemic, in which blood flow to the brain is blocked. 
it's a medical emergency that happens more frequently than we really understand. The good news is that Felicia is here to tell the story. I'm grateful that she's here to tell the story. She is recovering. For the first two weeks after the stroke happened, she was unable to speak and only able to communicate through writing notes down on a little piece of paper. So we spent a lot of time FaceTiming and reading notes. Her speech is coming back slowly but surely, but it's a long process and it's taking time. She is also able to go back to work on a limited schedule and she's back in the office three days a week right now. So when I think about gratitude, I wanted to share Felicia's story. So she's here today to join us. And Felicia, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> We've never done this before, have we? <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> no. It's, it's interesting, right? right? Well, I'm glad that you could be on the pod and share your story with everybody. And yeah, this podcast is kind of themed around gratitude. And as I was thinking about people that I wanted to have share their story and people that I thought would be inspired to really think about gratitude, I really wanted you to come on and be able to share some of your experience, also to raise a little bit of awareness about what happens with a stroke and how people can be aware of some of the signs and that it really can happen to anybody just totally out of the blue because you you had no clue obviously or really felt that anything was going on the day that it happened is that right no nothing it was like a normal day like a normal no. day yeah and so you felt no pain no horrible um you know headache or anything like that you're just at work doing your thing and can yeah. you describe what you felt? I have um, like a wave went through my body and my hand got numb. So, um, and I couldn't talk. So I was trying to get a hold of my friend Lisa to text her a word um, uh, at, so to text I, her. Yeah, I'm trying to FaceTime her and that she knew I couldn't speak. So See, that's the part that really freaks me out because we've had many long, long conversations. You're a talker, right? Yeah. And, and I'm a talker. We talk a lot. And so the idea of all of a sudden just a wave kind of going through your body of sensation, not necessarily pain, you felt something and then you felt your hands start to get numb. And then right. as you open your mouth to try to speak, nothing, nothing. came out. Wah, 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 wah. Nothing. <laughs> that's, that's what happened. That, so yeah. you're, you're thinking in your mind, something's right. happening. So you could, you could, you could think the thought and it just was the disconnect. Right. I couldn't, but, nothing came out. Nothing. Nothing came I out. Was, wow. And and that's what scared me. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You were you were terrified, rightly yeah. so, as I would be terrified as well. So what happened after that? After that, is you went out of the building, I guess, to try to look for someone or to get help or to go no, outside. I um I went to uh text Lisa and my parents and FaceTime them so I so that they saw I couldn't speak. So right, right. and yeah I went to text Lisa the uh that that I, I was at the office. So so you could text your work address and then Lisa knew immediately where to send the ambulance. Right. And then they took you there. So while all of this is going on in your mind, I mean, were you thinking that, first of all, what the hell is happening to me? And then the fear, right? I mean, you had told me before that you really, you felt you were, that you were going to check out that this is it. I mean, did you really feel that you were going to die? No, I'm, I was like in shock. I would, I didn't know what was happening to me. Right. 
So and the EMT picked my picked me up and they were looking for drugs and needles in my purse. They so, were looking for drugs and needles in your purse. Yes, because wow. I'm young young. So well, we, we, yeah. we think we're young. Yeah, well <laughs> I know, you know what you mean. <laughs> I know, yeah. I know what you mean. I'm just giving you a hard I, time. You no, know, I was <laughs> Um, I was shaking my head. No, 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 right. no. That that's the only thing I could say. No, that was all um, you could say was no. The word no. Yeah. yeah. Well, there was so, another word you could say after when we we talked not long after that. You could say no and the F word. Yeah, that, that <laughs> was it. That's and, it. And we were so when I got the phone call, I was just floored and shocked. I, I couldn't, right. I couldn't believe it because you just don't expect something like that to just happen out of the blue to someone quote our age, you know, we're not. Well, yeah. In, in I know. I age am, that you think. I, I'm, I am helping. Right. Watch we, what, watch what I eat. I've been practicing yoga for 20 years. Nothing. Right. No you, you eat well you know, yeah. quit smoking cigarettes, you know, you're doing everything that you think you're supposed to be doing to live a healthy life. You know, you're walking, you're exercising, you know, you definitely eat a lot healthier than I do. I would probably say on yeah. average, you know, you've got your, uh, your salad, your proteins, like you, you know how to take care of yourself. You know, we both like yoga. That's something that we, we've always had in common. So just this whole thing was so just kind of re uh, evaluate your life. Like your whole life has changed, right? Oh Everything God, changes yes. upside down. I mean, the fact that you're even, as we speak, it's May, uh, you got a birthday coming up yeah. and you're, you're actually back at work three days a week. Yes. And then this is after having a stroke in January, which is pretty amazing. And your speech has come back considerably. I mean, the first I guess it was maybe we spoke a few days or a week, maybe after it initially happened, you were home and you were writing everything down, right? You you, yeah. had, you had to write on notes to communicate. So your speech has come back considerably, but I mean, it's still a struggle, right? You still have to search yes. for certain words. And I, I, I have to think what I would said, say, so, right. You have to think about it. And right. what about your, and so you're also your ability, like you were an Excel whiz, you know, you were the one that we came to for taxes. You're an, an accountant numbers person by trade, right? Did yes. you have to relearn, you know, Excel and, and those programs that you knew by heart? No, well, I'm good. At, um, I, I am back at work and I'm doing some, not like, I used to. It's coming back little by little, little, little. Yeah, so, little by little, it's coming back. Yeah, and you know my um, typing is coming back too. I I have to um, double check my emails before I send them. So right. I miss I miss uh, words. A the um other little words that connect the sentence. So, right, little words. Yeah. Wow. So that must be frustrating for you, though. I mean, you know, you're an intelligent person. You're what you're thinking is in real time, but as it's coming out, it it's different. Yeah. 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 And yeah. what did the doctors say that it's just they can't give you any definite, you know, time frame of, oh, in six months, oh, in a year. No. They, Things no. will be normal. No, because, you know, one one for liability, right. you know, so yeah, they go, don't promise anything. They don't so, promise anything. Yeah. I'm hoping my, um, my voice comes back, but you know, I'm looking at the new normal. So. It's a new normal. That's right. That's a good way to think of it. 
that uh-huh. this is that this is a a new normal. I mean, I can hear the improvement, you know, considerably from when the event first happened in January until now. But I know that you're frustrated with the progress. Like you want it to be, you want things to be faster. Now. <laughs> now, yeah. You you want to be now. back, be back right, right now. You don't waste time. Right. So I mean, you must have had some time to think about, you know, before and after life now. What would you say you're grateful for? How do you look I'm, at things now differently? I'm great, great. I am grateful that I am still alive and I'm breathing. I have friends and my family, so I'm very grateful. You know, I I was thinking um when the stroke happened in the um when I was in the hospital for the first day. I was thinking about my daughter. Your daughter, yeah, Amanda. Yeah. And she was very concerned, uh, you know, obviously when all of that happened. So all these thoughts are racing through your mind. Yeah. And I can only I can only imagine when you <laughs> finally get that brush with mortality, right? Because we're oh. you know, we're in our 50s and now I mean, I know you must, must notice that this too where We've had classmates that have passed that we went to high school with. Yeah. Um, you know, you start to see those posts come up on Facebook. Yeah. Pray for so and so and things like that. It didn't really affect me because I was in funeral service for 30 year, years. So I I didn't um, pay attention to death that way. That way. That's interesting. So here's a note that Felicia has said she was in funeral services for over 20 years and she has done everything from, you know, billing. She ran a a crematory business where I actually went a couple of times and visited and even assisted in a, in a cremation. Um, So I remember going in there and how comfortable you felt you weren't freaked out over the deceased part of life. Yeah. So you, you've had more um, experience with that part of life where a lot of people are afraid of it. They don't even want to talk about it. They don't even want to uh, acknowledge that it's something we're all going to face eventually. What way, but I didn't want to face this. I thought was um, invincible. You thought so, you were invincible, yeah, yeah. Until some until something like this happens, yeah. But would would you say that since this, have you felt more uh, of an appreciation of things, or or actually, have you tried to let go of the small stuff? You know, like not stress over the things that you used to stress about. I let go on that a long time ago. So now I'm just, um, I appreciate life more. So it's the little little things, you know. You appreciate the little things more. Yeah, I don't need anything. I need like um, um, someone to um, say, um, let's go to lunch. Um, We talk on the phone. That's it. I know no more um no more monetary stuff. Oh, so you don't you don't sweat the money anymore? No, not so much. Well, that's no. good. <laughs> I no. wish I didn't sweat that kind of stuff. I mean, whenever I, it's I, kind of changed me, like what's happened to you, because I'm so grateful that you're still here. Yeah, I'm trying not to sweat that little stuff too. Like, you know, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? I mean, right. I I can handle it. Whatever can happen, I'm sure I'll I'll be able to handle it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 first night in the the hospital, 
I was hooked up to machines, right, for my, my um, heart and my um, blood pressure. Right. So I was beep, beep, beep. I was trying to con control my breath with a jowing. Oh, the Ujjayi breath, the yoga breath. Yes. People yes. that do yoga will be familiar with that for sure. Yes. So you I were was, hearing the beeping and everything of the machines and you were my trying to heart was, Yeah, my heart was racing. racing. Yeah. So, and I didn't um, fall asleep because I was afraid I was going to die. Wow. You were afraid to fall asleep. Yeah. That's scary. Yeah. But so... What would you say to people that, because I remember some conversations that we had previously where you said, oh, I need new glasses. My vision is blurry. Um, I'm getting some headaches, but I mean, you know, everybody gets headaches. So you wouldn't really think necessarily that that was a sign. Do you think that you should have paid more attention to like the blurred vision or things like that? Uh, well, I, I went to the ophthalmologist for my double vision and they said no they said they couldn't find anything right so don't trust the doctors don't trust the doctors i know well you know i have had headaches you know for right. a long time and yeah. you know nothing but so. but still i mean it's hard um sometimes but to follow up on those kind of things. And sometimes you'll get information that that's incorrect. And really they couldn't, you said that when you talked to the doctors, you know, recently as you're going through your, your rehab, that there's nothing that they could pinpoint. Like no one can say, this is what caused this. No, nothing. Yeah. There's no reason of, well, you ate too much uh, fat or, you know, you did this or, so that's what's Nothing. so crazy is that something like this can really happen to anybody, all, yes. all of us that are listening right now. Um, there's, there's always something. So I just, I think the lesson that's so profound is that we really have to appreciate every minute of every day and try to make the best of it. And yeah, crappy things happen. You know, the, the economy sucks. We may hate the president, you know, all of these things that um, we can't control. Yeah, but, but we just have know. to control our ourselves and our relationships and and tell the people we love them and things like that. Yeah. That's what's important. Yeah, and you know, I for one, um, my voice it's like my uh, actually my whole life, um, is pull up your big girl panties and move on. Hold on your big girl panties. Those, yeah, and move <laughs> on. Don't dwell, dwell. Yeah. Put um, your helmet on. Don't dwell on it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. I mean, you're certainly an inspiration Ooh, for me for and, and everybody who knows and, and loves you for everything that, you know, you've been through and you've always been a fighter. I mean, yeah. we could do what we could do a whole other, whole other shows oh, on no. <laughs> everything else, you know, but we, we won't do that, but just, you're one of the strongest people I know. And yeah. I'm so, you know, I'm so grateful that you're, you're able to be with me here now doing me this too. podcast, <laughs> you know, and there's me more too. good things that will come. And I know that however long it takes, you know, we'll all get used to this new normal and things are going to get better and they, they're already improving day by yeah. day, you know? So I just think, that this is all just a great reminder that, you know, Hey, life can change on a dime. Don't take things for granted. Don't take people for granted. And, uh, yeah, you know, right. <laughs> just try, you know, try to what, put your big girl panties on. I know what, um, what throughout my life, I knew, I, uh, know who my friends are that stuck me with me. You, um, so, um, you know, cars, letters, everything. Um, I'm so thankful. Oh, I'm thankful oh. too. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to cry on this podcast. Uh, no, no, no. <laughs> 
Well, I'm so glad you could share your story with everybody today, especially with the podcast theme being gratitude. And I really felt strongly that I wanted you to, to share your story. So I'm glad that you could talk to us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. I'm Michelle Phillips, a celebrity makeup artist, beauty expert, self-confidence coach, and Hay House author. My podcast, Beauty and Beyond, is the place for women navigating the challenges of the aging process. Listen in for my professional advice, as well as my expert guests, as we share valuable tips, practical tools, and empowering resources to help you not only look amazing, but also live an amazing life part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and available wherever you get your podcasts.